Hello and welcome to the Moms Every Day podcast. I'm Liz Hayes. And I'm Nikki Bates. Moms Every Day is a TV show made by moms for moms. You can check us out at momseveryday.com where we offer lots of parenting advice, tips to make mom's life easier, recipes, and lots of other good stuff. And we have expanded our horizons and are now offering more in-depth interviews with parenting experts, authors, bloggers, and other interesting people on our podcast. And today we are joined by bereavement advocate and author, Alexis Marie Schutt. Welcome to the show, Alexis. Thank you for having me. So you created a documentary about pregnancy after loss called Expecting Sunshine, and you've also just released a memoir with the same title. Tell us about the book and film. That's a big question. Um, For me, it all started back uh, after I had my first child and I was blissfully naive. And my husband and I decided, like, we just love parenting. Let's do it again. And that was the uh, start of the journey where everything unraveled a little bit as time went on. And we discovered about halfway through the pregnancy that our child, who we named Zachary in the end, Um, had a random genetic abnormality that lets tumors grow his body. And people can live with this, but the unfortunate part was that um, he had a really large tumor around his heart. And no matter what doctors or um, medication we tried, like there was nothing we could do to save him. And he passed away just a few minutes after he was born. So that was the impetus um, that got started with the documentary film. Well, maybe I would take a step back and I would say that first I spent the entire year after my son passed away avoiding my grief and being busy with work and taking my one living child to uh, kid programs and things at the library and just being so busy because I didn't want to think about my grief. I didn't want to think about um, my loss and how it affected my marriage and affected every part of who I was as a person. So that came first before the book and the film. And it was only when I got pregnant again with my next child that I took a step back and I was like, I better deal with this grief. Otherwise it's gonna sit on my shoulders. I'm gonna carry it as this um, damaging, just like a a horrible little thing that it's just gonna take away from all the beauty of life. And so I would say that that started me on a new trajectory to something that uh, like my own search for healing. And now I'm passionate about passing on what I've learned to other people through the both the book and the film. So I know everyone grieves differently. What was helpful to you after losing Zachary and what was not helpful? That's a very good question. So I would find um, people would come up to me and say things like, oh, there's a reason that this happened. And, you know, God has a plan or, you know, there's some greater scheme that uh, required this to happen in your life. And I found that very uh, off-putting at the time, even though I recognized that these people in my life really didn't mean the best for me. It was hard to hear those things because as a bereaved parent, it's like the only thing I want was my baby with me. And even though I do feel now I, the things that I'm doing, I can do in Zachary's legacy. Yeah. So be careful what you say, avoid cliches. What was helpful was the mom's group that I had made uh, of these friendships. When I had my first child, Hannah, those women 
were amazing. They brought us a meal. They made a schedule and they brought a meal uh, of a dinner every single day for, I think it was like two or three weeks. And I I honestly feel like my husband and I and our daughter, Hannah, we would have eaten pizza every meal um, if it wasn't for those ladies. So I feel incredibly grateful for them. I would really say that trying to distract yourself it can be good for a season of life because sometimes the emotions and the struggles are overwhelming and all encapsulating. But at the same time, it is an amazing step when you decide that, okay, I'm going to choose to find joy and and to bring that back into my life. And that, that search doesn't mean you negate or you take away the pain and the love that you have for your child that died. But those things, it, it's beautiful. They can exist at the same time. And that's really what I found. And for me personally, like art and creativity, like dance and music and writing, sculpture, those sort of things were an amazing tool that unlocked um, healing for me personally. So I really want to share that message to the world. And we'll get into that a little bit more um, a little later in the podcast as well. Um, but how has losing Zachary affected your relationships with with your other children and also your decision to have another child? Um, I think that the decision to have another child back at the time that I lost Zachary, it was the only thing I wanted. It was the only thing I wanted in the entire world, not as a baby to replace another baby, but just the desire to mother was incredible after losing a child like just just it was this hungry like I felt like the void of needing some uh, a baby to love and to hold parenting after loss however was not quite as easy of a decision well and I'd have to say that being pregnant after loss maybe we'll talk about that more later but that was really um and that's what my whole my whole book is about is I think it was one of the most stressful nine months of my life and I, you know, got through by, you know, what is the expression? The skin of your teeth or how does that go? Is that right? Hanging on by the skin of your teeth. Yeah. Hanging on. There you go. Hanging on by the skin of your teeth. So, um, but in terms of parenting after loss, I would definitely say that it's unfortunate, but I'm a much more nervous parent. I try not to be a helicopter parent. I try not to go in and you know, check on my kids multiple times before I go to bed. But I do have to say, like, like I now have, so I have my daughter, Hannah, who's seven, and then I've had two rainbow babies after losing Zachary. And every night I go in and I, I wait and I put my hands on their bodies and I just wait. Okay, there I felt a breath. Okay, I can take a deep breath at that point and then I can go to bed. So it's challenging. But I do think that one of the really amazing things that my husband and I have done with our living children is being open about what we've been through. So, you know, my youngest is one, so he's not quite there yet, but my older two children, they recognize that they have a brother that passed away. And if we're out somewhere and I say, you know, people say, oh, how many kids do you have? And I say three. They're like, no, 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 mom. <laughs> You've got four kids. Don't forget about Zachary in that list. So it's just, I really feel like it's um, a healing, uh, affirmative thing for them to be able to 
look at grief and death as a natural uh, part of life that is unfortunate and really sad, but we don't have to fear it. And we don't have to um, shy away. Like after people lose a baby, like miscarriage or stillbirth, there's so many people that it's like, I have no idea what to say to this person. So I just won't say anything. And you pretend that it didn't happen. But these are, they're short lives, but they're incredibly meaningful lives. And that's something I hope to change. I hope to make a difference in is the vocabulary and comfort around talking about loss. And, and real quick, um, what is a rainbow baby? Some of our listeners might not know what that means, that term means. Yeah, so a rainbow baby is a child born after a, a loss of a baby. So that the loss can be miscarriage, stillbirth, or early in infancy. Um, but yeah, it's the next child born. But I have two children after, so I like to say that they're both my rainbow babies. Um, you touched on it just a little bit before, but I know in your book you talk about how men and women grieve differently. Um, can you talk yes. about, um, you mentioned that was maybe a tough time in your marriage too after that. Can you talk about how you and your husband? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so my husband and I grieved like polar opposites where I needed companionship and his presence with me and the ability to talk and work through things together. He was on the other extreme. So he went back to work right away after our son passed away. You know, he coached volleyball at the school. So he was up uh, and gone for work before I, um, Hannah and I got up and he didn't get home till 10 o'clock at night. And we, it just, it was like we were speaking different languages. He um, sort of emotionally closed off where I was like an emotional <laughs> overflow. Um, and so for many, many years after, like he passed away um, in 2010. And so I wouldn't say um, we actually got back onto the same page as a couple until probably about 2014. So four years, we, we it felt like we were emotionally estranged. And I think that part of me was very bitter and angry that he went back to work so quickly. And I begged him, I'm like, I need you, I need you to stay with me and, and help me grieve and grieve together. Um, and that's really not what he needed. He needed to go to work and be in an environment where he felt he was in control and he was doing what he was passionate about and he um, was good at it. So he thrived there and um, yeah, it, it was challenging. And so I wrote my book and it's very much from my perspective. And I actually had a really insightful university press professor. I did my master's in uh, fine arts and creative writing. And she had read my book and um, I was still editing it, editing it at that time. And she said, for one of my assignments, she's like, okay, well, I want you to rewrite this one chapter from your husband's perspective. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> am I allowed to say hello on the show? <laughs> and I was like, totally resistant. I'm like, I do not even want to see things from his perspective. I just felt closed down. And so one submission period passed and I procrastinated and another one passed and I was like, oh, I just can't do this. Finally, it was the end of term and she's like, you've got to get this done. This is like, you're doing this. So it just happened to be on a, um, like a short road trip, just him and I, my husband, Aaron, 
uh, it was about three hours. And so I said, okay, let's just talk about this. And so I read him the chapter and then I just said, tell me from your perspective, what happened and what were you feeling? And I would have to say that that car ride was probably like the impetus to save our marriage. Um, because I hadn't recognized or acknowledged the depth of his grief because I couldn't see it. He didn't express it. He didn't say it. And so therefore I felt it was absent. It was not there. But actually he felt things so profoundly and deeply that, um, yeah, it brought me to a new perspective of understanding him. And, and then from there, we did couples counseling and, you know, we kind of worked towards working it out, but <laughs> it took a long time. Yeah. That sounds like a good teacher. <laughs> yes. I owe her, <laughs> I owe her a lot. And that's something actually like right now, um, Oh, when is the podcast coming out? I should ask that question. It'll be up next week. Next week. Okay. Or even this week. What day is it? Wednesday? Yeah. I mean, for sure by early next week. Yeah. Perfect. So something I'm doing as a little incentive for people who pre-order the book is I have taken that chapter that I wrote from his perspective. I haven't published that. It's not a part of the book, but I'm going to be emailing that to people who pre-order so they can have like both chapters side by side and kind of see... Um, uh, one example of male female grief in action. Um, yeah, so I'll have more in information about that on my website. Okay, cool. Um, there's a theme in your work about nature's seasons, the sunshine, and the title, and of course the rainbow baby, which we've talked about. Can you tell us about that connection to nature? Yeah, so I, I think that people in general are very connected to nature. I know that for me living in Canada, um, like I have a sun lamp that I turn on <laughs> in the winter months because it's like, I feel a little bit down. So for me personally, um, I see that the nature, the natural seasons of life um, parallel uh, my mood and emotions. And I definitely found that with grief was like we lost our son Zachary in the fall and the leaves were beautiful, but then they eventually all fell and the skeletons of the trees were left and then the harsh winter of Edmonton came it's like we can get down to minus you know 35 degrees celsius which is it's pretty unbearable so in a way that was like the state of my heart as well like I just felt after my loss like I was a broken and desolate person like I just lost so much of who I was and my identity and it was sort of like, um, as the year passed um, and I got pregnant again, I moved through that, those natural seasons and the seasons of grief as well. And in that pregnancy after loss, um, my son kind of, my stomach grew as um, it was spring and then he was born just a few days after the summer solstice. So it's just like so many cool, beautiful little details. Um, but I think that what nature can teach us is that you know, even in the darkest seasons of life, even when, you know, we feel like summer, when we feel spring is never going to come, when we can't see the sun and we're just in this, um, like the valley of the shadow of death and, and we can't hope. I think nature can teach us that um, we can wait. It is coming and we won't always feel this way. There is, you know, beautiful life that can grow out of um, the darkness of winter 
And, and even in winter, we can find beauty and light. I think it helps that you have some strong roots too. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good point. I can really tell by the way that you're describing stuff. You absolutely, you sound like a creative, like you're an artist. I can absolutely see how that was maybe an outlet for you as an artist. And so I want to tell our listeners, you were also a photographer and a painter. So yes. talk to us a little bit about what, uh, what of those outlets provided you as you grieve. Yeah, so the journey, the creative journey after loss was quite interesting. So for that first year after Zachary passed away, I call it my year of distraction. Um, I didn't make art. I just, I felt like art was dangerous because if I expressed myself, I didn't know what was going to come out and my emotions were too risky at that time. But after that year, I, I slowly started to paint again. And I write about this in my book, like the very first time I painted after my loss and it was almost like a breath, breath of fresh air. I think after we lose someone, we're very much in our, uh, our left logic brain. We try to rationalize what happened. We ask all the why questions. Why did this happen to me? Why my child? Why my family? Like, what could I have done differently? And when we change over to thinking with our, the right side of our brain and being creative, it opens us up to creative problem solving, abstract thinking. It opens us up to like process our loss and, and make peace in a way that is not logic-based. Because there's sometimes mysteries in life that we can't understand and we can't explain. And that's really what I found through making art. So I started painting and I also started making wood sculpture. And I found that just stacking the little blocks of wood together, um, it became a, an amazing release. And it sort of grew from there. I did uh, a residency and in that I started to do um, large uh, black and white portraits of, of other people who have been through hardship. I call those the quiet rebuild. And so the kind of the journey I found is like the artwork has taken me um, from personal self-expression to also helping other people in that way. So I photographed other bereaved parents, uh, people who've had pregnancy loss or early child loss. I've also uh, photographed people who've been, um, had a horrible uh, hand dealt to them with illness or addiction. But what I really am passionate about is the resiliency of the human spirit. It's something I find so incredibly um, empowering is that we have this innate, um, this innate uh, motivation in us to get up every day and get out of bed, put on our pants one leg at a time, eat, survive, breathe, you know, and, and that will to go on is something that I find incredibly inspiring. And that's what I hope to um, encourage other people with by these pictures and through my book and through everything I do. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And what about for others who are grieving but aren't artists? How could they tap into their creativity to help themselves heal or process pain? Would you have any advice for, for those people? Yeah, so I actually teach a class called Healing Art for Mourning Parents. And in it, it's just anybody who wants to come, they don't have to be artists or writers or anything, uh, any creative uh, person in particular. And so what I teach with that class in the very first five minutes is that it is a judgment-free zone. That means that we don't judge each other, but we also don't judge ourselves. And 
like something I learned um, when I was doing my undergrad degree in art, uh, and I was having like this major artist block moment, and I was like, I can't break out of this. I had a teacher say, paint an ugly painting. Just get it all out of you. And so I think anybody can do that. Just make a giant mess and like get paint all over yourself and just put the ugliest thing, just express yourself and be gestural and have fun with it, knowing that it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's the process of, of moving your body and engaging, you know, your hands and your heart. Um, so, and I, I found that personally very uplifting. So I would recommend that people pick up a journal and try writing out their feelings. And like one activity I do in my, in my class is I have them, the participants write two different lists. So the first list is words that describe um, how they're feeling about their loss and what that uh, situation has left them with. And then the second list is where they wanna be. So in the first list, I've had people say things like um, broken, empty, um, devastated, like we, using really strong words, um, lost. But then the other uh, side of the list is um, whole, joyful, redeemed. And so just by slowing down, this is kind of an introduction to poetry, but just by slowing down and thinking intentionally about words, it doesn't have to be like, you know, like lots of people think poetry, <laughs> you don't even understand poetry half the time, right? But, um, but just by slowing down and reflecting and being meditative and thinking about the where, where you've been and those words, and then um, bringing the other side of it together. I've had these people in the, in the class read this list one after the other, and it's just like goosebumps and shivers. Like everyone in the class is like, oh, it's so powerful. So these things, like, you don't have to um, sit down intentionally and say, oh, I'm going to write a book. It's just about like, little things every day and picking up some Play-Doh and sitting and just squishing it around and making a worm and then destroying it and then making an umbrella. And, like, you know, it just, I think it's a lot about connecting with your inner child. Because as kids, we understand the world in different ways than adults. And I think that's where I see... Um, my kids' understanding of death, it's really beautiful and freeing. It's, they accept it, they talk about it, there's no shame, there's no guilt. So I think that when we can be creative and just let ourselves get into that place of playing like children, there's something amazing that can come out of that. Awesome. I'm going to put you on the spot because um, now you have, like, a book has come out of this and a documentary has come out of this. Um, I don't know if you have it handy. Do you have a favorite, like, excerpt, a favorite paragraph or something from the book that you'd like to read? Sure. Um, I do have... Sorry, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I just... No, that's totally fun. I like that. <laughs> I don't mind being put on the spot. So I have a chapter called, and so my book, um, it is divided into three sections, uh, basically like the three trimesters of pregnancy, and then each week, uh, each chapter is a gestational week. So I'm going to read from week 20 called Horse with Blue Eyes. So, so in this chapter, um, we, we have hoar frost every once in a while, every few days in Canada, um, and it just butters the trees and these most amazing ice crystals and it's really beautiful and so on this one day I uh, was compelled to go outside and take pictures um, 
just of the trees and of nature. And I uh, ended up meeting this group of horses that just were kind of wandering through and they emerged from the mist. It was really um, surreal. And so I've just uh, petted one of the horses and they walked back into the mist. As my eyes remained fixed on the distant place where the horses last slipped from view, my hands, trembling, dropped from my mouth to the arc of my rounding abdomen. The baby within me kicked lightly, the sensation as faint as the snow melting on my skin. I had wondered for the last 20 weeks, how am I going to do this? How can I bring a new life into the world while feeling so very distant from it? Yet, in that moment, I knew. I had not completely forgotten who I was. It was true that a part of me had passed into white like the horses, but I now saw that I would survive, that I must survive, not only for Hannah or Aaron or for my next child, but for myself as well. The thaw was coming. I could sense its stirring, its deep earthly groaning. A new season would soon replace my winter of the soul. So there's a little paragraph. Yeah. That was beautiful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Alexis, for, for speaking with us. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? Oh, I, I'm just incredibly grateful for the opportunity to, to share about my story. And I, I do feel like this is um, my, my legacy for Zachary in the world, or Zachary's legacy. I'm passing on Zachary's legacy in the world. So, um, yeah, I just want to send a little out to all the listeners who have been through challenging times. And you can pre-order my book um, online, and you can also uh, connect with me. I'd love to hear your story. Okay, great. Thanks so much. That's Alexis Marie Shoup from expectingsunshine.com. Thanks so much, Alexis. Thank you. Mm-hmm.